0: Surely coincidental that I'm here. (laughs) Right, we're going to hear from God's Word, and hopefully we'll find the answer in God's Word. Let me pray for us first as we come to God's Word together. Let's all pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for how you've spoken. We thank you that we can gather today to celebrate your goodness, to celebrate your faithfulness. And Father, we thank you that you have kept your promise all these years to send your son for us and for our salvation. So Father, we pray that as we hear the story of his birth, Father, we pray that this will not merely remain uh, words on a page to us, but we would truly take this story to heart just as Mary did. And Father, we pray that we would respond to you with hearts that are made alive by your grace, hearts that love you, with hearts that uh, seek you and long to trust in this baby whom you have sent for us. So Father, bless us, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, blessed Christmas, good to have you all here with us this morning. Uh, special welcome to the kids who are here with us. Uh, there is, you know, as, as what Pastor Ian said, there's a bit of a word search at the back of your uh, bulletin, so the kids can use this, the adults can use this too, <laughs> if you get a, if you feel that you're drifting during the sermon. Uh, Here's a suggestion, you know, there's a word search, you can circle the words. The other thing you can do with this is every time you, you hear the words mentioned in the sermon, you can just shout out, Amen. So like, you know, shepherds will go to Amen, you know, just... So if you hear these words, just shout out Amen during the sermon. it will be, be encouraging to all of us. So, you know, Annie, uh, as she was leading the singing, Annie said, Christmas is not just about presents, right? We all, we all realize that Christmas is not just about presents. You know, every Christmas morning, you know, we have a tradition in my family, we, we sit down and I think you probably have tra- this tradition as well, every mo- Christmas morning we sit down and we begin to tear open our gifts, right? And then after the dust settles and the excitement kind of subsides a little, uh, we're left standing in our living room and we have to ask this really profound question, you know, Christmas is not just about presents, it's also about wrapping paper. You know, what do we do with all this wrapping paper? <laughs> you know, in, in the U.S, you know, as much as half of the 85 million tons of paper products consumed every year goes to wrapping paper and packaging and decorations. You know In, in Britain, I, I read this statistic uh, people throw away an estimated 350 kilometers long of wrapping paper every year during the holiday season enough to go around the world nine times you know why why do we wrap gifts i think that's the question that i ask every christmas why do we bother wrapping gifts and it leaves us with this huge heap of wrapping paper at the end of the day why why spend all this effort and expense to to wrap up a present right you know i think some 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 scientists have actually studied this interestingly enough you can write a phd about this you know some some psychological studies have found that people prefer a nicely wrapped gift over one that hasn't been wrapped. Right. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's true of you as well. You prefer getting something that's nicely wrapped as opposed to something that's just not wrapped at all. I think maybe we like wrapping gifts because we like the idea of surprise. Right. We, we like the idea of disguising a present beneath layers of wrapping paper because it, it heightens anticipation. It heightens this sense of excitement when we finally tear open the paper and we think, like, "Whoa, that's a nice present!" You know, we, we enjoy peeling away the layers of wrapping paper to discover the gift hidden inside. You know, we, we love the surprise of discovery. Right? We like to, we like to be surprised in that way. You know, and and gift wrapping makes the ordinary appear extraordinary. You know, this is why even a pair of socks can be a Christmas present, right? How many of you received socks today? Uh, anyway, don't answer that. <laughs> right, we, we, wrapping paper kind of covers something ordinary like a pair of socks, and it makes it exquisite. Right? It makes it, wow, this is a present. And, and like a well-wrapped present, you know, the story of Jesus' birth in the Gospel of Luke that Gideon and John read for us this story is filled with surprises, you know, like a well-wrapped present. You know, but the big twist in the story, you know, we, we wrap presents because we want to make the ordinary appear extraordinary. The twist in this story is that the extraordinary is made to appear ordinary. So Listen to that again. The twist in this story is that the extraordinary is made to appear ordinary. And and I think Luke, the the writer of the Gospel, Luke, he he wants to kind of draw us into the story. He wants us to look really closely at this this story. And he wants us to be surprised by what we discover. He wants us to be surprised by what we discover. So as we look closely at this text, as we unwrap this text together, I pray that we'll be surprised as we find for ourselves the greatest gift of all. Alright, so just three points as we work through this text together. Number one, God's surprising plan. You know, the story begins in quite an unusual way. You know, it's a story about God's promised king, but the first king that's mentioned is not this promised king, right? It's instead another king. It's uh, Caesar Augustus, the Roman, em- the Roman emperor of the day. And and the story begins with Caesar Augustus issuing a decree calling for all the provincial citizens to be registered. Now, Luke places this Christmas story in a time in history during the reign of Caesar Augustus. So these are historical events that Luke is talking about. And the aim of the census was not a happy one. The aim of the census was to enable the Roman government to find out who was eligible to pay taxes, right? So not, not, a, not a particularly happy census. And it was, it was just another example of the Romans exercising their power to rule over their subjugated peoples. So this census, you can call it an inconvenient nuisance, right? It was a nuisance because people had to return to their hometowns in order to be registered. You know, so wherever they live, they need to leave their places of residence, they need to go back to their hometowns in order to be registered for the census. Joseph and Mary both lived in Nazareth, which is in the northernmost part of Israel. That's where they lived. So there's a problem because Joseph's hometown was in the southernmost part of Israel. Joseph's hometown was in Bethlehem of Judea in the south. And, and the, the, the passage tells us that, oh, he, he was of the house and lineage of David. David. If you know the stories of the Old Testament, David was a king in the Old Testament, and King David came from Bethlehem. And Joseph is mentioned as belonging to the same line of King David. And this is significant because in the Old Testament, it tells us that God's promised king will come from this very line, from the line of David. So Joseph and Mary, they have to travel the 150 kilometers down, or rather up, to Bethlehem. And, and this must have been a difficult journey, because Luke tells us that at this time, Mary was heavily pregnant. You know, I, I, you know, I, I know that when my wife was pregnant with our two boys, I mean, traveling was uh, just an inconvenient nuisance, right? I mean, even getting on a plane when you're pregnant is just uncomfortable, just having to sit down for a long ride. You can imagine how inconvenient this must have been for Mary. So why must Mary and Joseph be in Bethlehem? Now, on, on one level, it's because they're being obedient citizens and they're giving to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Right? So if you need to pay taxes, you need to be registered to pay taxes, so you travel down to Bethlehem in order to be registered to pay taxes. But friends, there, there's a deeper reason for why they are in Bethlehem. It has to do with an Old Testament prophecy concerning the birthplace of God's promised king. You know, back in the Old Testament, this prophet named Micah, you know, he said these words, you know, speaking, God speaking on, on, through him, he said these words, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So Micah tells us that God's promised king will be born in Bethlehem. So so in this whole story, you you see this earthly king, Caesar, exercising his earthly authority as emperor to command his citizens to be taxed. But, But even as he does that, the story reveals that there is an even greater authority over Caesar himself. And this is God himself. God rules over the might of the Roman Empire. And and here's the surprising twist of the story. All these events that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem didn't happen by chance. It wasn't simply the result of a Roman census. But these things are happening according to God's eternal plan. He's working through the very kingdoms and empires of this world to accomplish His plan to save. And even the great Caesar, who thinks himself powerful and authoritative, even the great Caesar was, in this story, God's unwitting instrument. And through the decree of this earthly king, God made sure that His promised king would be born in the right place, at the right time. Now, who is this promised king? It's none other than the baby in Mary's womb. You know, as if you read in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, the angel Gabriel had told Mary that her son, this baby in her womb, would be special. You know, in those verses, the angel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High simply means the Son of God. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father, David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom, there will be no end. Now, this uh, words from the angel, they, they recall a, a promise that God made to David in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, God promised King David that one of David's descendants would rule as king forever and that this kingdom would never come to an end. And so it's significant that now that the angel comes to Mary and says, This child is going to fulfill this promise that God has made to King David years and years ago. And, and the Israelites, they, they, knew this, they knew this promise, and they, they longed for the coming of this king. Because from the Old Testament, we know that when this king comes, his kingdom will be one of joy, his kingdom will be one of peace, his kingdom will be one of justice, and one of righteousness. You know, just just now, as, as John and Gideon were having the conversation, I think one of the questions they asked is, why is this world so messed up? You know, how, how are we able to kind of fix the brokenness that we see around us, right? Brokenness in our own lives, brokenness in the lives of our loved ones, brokenness we read off in the papers. You know, how do we fix all this brokenness? And, and the Israelites, when, when they heard the promise of God, they, they realized, yes, God, you are going, you're going to fix all this brokenness. And you're going to do it by sending your promised king. And, and his kingdom will be one of joy, peace, justice, and righteousness. And, and indeed, this baby will be called Jesus. You know, what, what does Jesus mean? You know, some of you may know Jesus means the Lord saves. Right? That's, that's the meaning of His name, that the Lord saves. And, and go, this angel is telling Mary that, hey, your, your baby is special because through Him, the Lord is going to save. He's going to bring about this new kingdom. Now, we expect kings to be born in palaces. Right? You know, prominent people come from prominent places. They come from prominent places. Uh, families, you know, rich, powerful families. And we expect this king to be born in a place like Jerusalem, Israel's capital city, in perhaps the palace of the king in Jerusalem. Uh, but, but surprisingly, God's promised king is born in lowly Bethlehem, you know, a, a small town, hardly a place of significance. But Liu wants us to realize that this king It's not like any earthly king. This king doesn't associate himself with the rich and powerful of the day, but he's born in obscurity. He's born in a place of insignificance. And Luke wants us to realize that this king draws near to the lowly. He comes for ordinary people like you and me. You know, this, this king did not come to be served, but this king came to serve and to give his life to save many. So that's God's surprising plan. So let's, let's think about the Savior's surprising birth. You know, can I have the next slide? Oh, the one before this, I think. Yes. Yeah, so, from, so this, this painting is called Christ Mocked. And for many years, this painting hung in an elderly French woman's kitchen. And you know, the, the woman thought this painting was of little value. You know, she thought, well, this is just a piece of you know, nice religious art. You know, it, it, it hung over her stove, of all places. You know, then one day, this auctioneer came to her house. Yeah, I don't know why he came to her house. But, but he came to her house, and he, he saw this painting hanging in the kitchen, and he said, well, wow, I, I think you should get that valued. <laughs> because I think he recognized, oh, this, this may be actually more valuable than you think. So the woman, okay, I'll, I'll get this painting valued. And as it turned out, friends, this painting, Christ mocked, turned out to be a rare 13th century masterpiece by a celebrated Italian artist, and I have no idea how it ended up in her kitchen, And friends, in in September, this painting was sold for, guess how much? This painting was sold for $36 million. Is that rare? So I think I I read somewhere that this was maybe one of 11 paintings by this Italian painter. $36 million, friends. And and this amazing discovery made the news, as, as we would expect, because no one expects to find a $36 million painting in someone's kitchen. Right? We don't expect something so priceless and precious to be found in such a mundane, ordinary place. Right? We expect this to be hanging in a very fancy gallery somewhere, not in someone's kitchen. And in the same way, friends, this is the way Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth. You know, we don't expect the birth of a king to happen in such a surprisingly humble setting. You know, like this painting in the kitchen, we don't expect the birth of a king to be so ordinary. You know, the beloved eternal Son of God, the Most High God, becomes fully human. And, and He identifies fully with us, even to the extent of being born I think sometimes it's helpful to pause and think about the, the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation, the, the coming of God's Son in the flesh. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, why, why did the, you know, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be easier if God just sent His Son fully grown, right, as, as an adult, right? Why, why didn't Jesus just come as, a, as an adult, you know, just ready to do God's will immediately and just get to action right away? You know, why did He come through a woman's womb and be born into the world as an infant of all things. I think Jesus is identifying with us fully. He's, he's entering into our experience. He's entering into our existence. And, and by being born as an infant, Jesus knew firsthand what it meant to be helpless. You know, why, why do we swaddle babies? You ever wondered, you know, why do we swaddle babies? When when, I was young, when, my, when my sons were younger, we used to swaddle them. You know, when you swaddle a baby, what do you do? You, you take cloths and you wrap them up really tightly, right? So that they can't move their hands and legs. You know, somehow they still manage to escape, but, but generally the idea is they, they, they feel really secure. You, you swaddle babies so that they feel safe. Can you imagine Jesus, the eternal Son of God, needs to feel Safe. The One who created all things entered into our existence, came into His creation as a weak, vulnerable baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths. You know, I I love that line from the hymn, uh, the the Carol Hark, the Herald Angel sings, and it says, "Veiled in flesh." the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. You know, we we need to look really closely, right? Because otherwise we'll miss it. You know, we we see this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and we think, oh, this is just a poor, insignificant baby. What's the big deal? But that's a surprise, friends. Strength and power come in apparent weakness. Jesus puts His glory aside and he made himself nothing in order to identify with us in our frail weak humanity you know sometimes at christmas time it, it can be a difficult time for some of us you know, sometimes at christmas time god can feel especially far away you know during this season when everyone seems to be rejoicing you know, sometimes we struggle with the sense that god has left us behind. Maybe He doesn't understand us. Maybe He doesn't care. That's why my life is in a mess. No, but but the birth of Jesus tells us that God has drawn near, that God knows, that God cares more than we can imagine. You know, God was pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus is our Emmanuel, which means He is God with us. And and the the Christmas story tells us that God didn't wait for us to make the first move. Rather, God God took the initiative to come to us in the person of His Son, Jesus. God is not far from us, friends. And as we read the story of this helpless baby in swaddling cloths, we are reminded again that God has come near to us and He invites us to know Him by knowing His Son. And God has drawn near to us through His Son Jesus to open up the way for us to draw near to Him. Jesus wasn't born into a lap of luxury. this, This passage tells us that He is the humble servant king. His palace was a stable because no guest room was available. His throne was a manger. Yeah. You know what a manger is? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. It's a place where animals eat out of. A stable and a manger. And then who are the first to hear of Jesus' birth? You know, if, if it were up to me, I'd work out a communication strategy, right? To, and, and this communication strategy would involve getting the news out to wealthy, powerful, successful, and influential people of the day. In my mind, I'm thinking that's the best way to get this news out, right? You have a really sophisticated comms plan. You have a strategic marketing plan that brings this message out to the most influential people because they can then get the word out for you. But, But who are the first to hear this message? Not the influencers of the day, but shepherds. Poor, lowly, marginalised shepherds who, who lived on the fringe of society. Shepherds of all people. You know, this is not a sophisticated communications plan. is quite the opposite. Why, why does the news come to shepherds of all people? Outsiders are the first ones to hear the good news of Jesus' coming. And and the fact that the news comes to outsiders tells us who this news is for. Friends, this this news is not for people who think that they are insiders. This news is not for people who think of themselves as powerful or influential or self-sufficient or self-righteous. No, friends, this news is not for them. This news is for outsiders, not insiders, outsiders, people who feel themselves to be outcasts, people who feel themselves to be lost, people who feel themselves to be failures, who who continually fall short of God. This news, friends, is for them. And maybe that's you today, this morning. I know that of myself. I continually fall short of what God requires. I don't glorify Him as I ought, and apart from Him, I am lost. And friends, if you feel that of yourself, you know, if, if you're wondering, God, how come I keep failing you? Why, do I f- why, why does my life feel so lost? Friends, if, if that's you, this news is for you. This news is not for those who think, oh, I can clean up my own life and then I'll come to church and look nice and presentable. No, this news is not for you. It's for those who feel their lostness, for those who know that they're outsiders. And this news comes first to shepherds. And, And Luke tells us this to assure us that when we come to Jesus in our lostness, He stands ready to receive us because this news is for us. And the Lord God shows His glory to humble shepherds who tremble with terror when they hear the news. But the angel says to them, and I love these two words, fear not. Fear not. As as we come to God, we we bring our failures to Him. We we bring our brokenness to God. And, And what wonderful words to hear from Him. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, the good news of Jesus' coming calms our fears. It brings hope to those in despair. It brings healing and health to the broken. It brings comfort to those who mourn. It it brings peace to the troubled. It brings joy to those who grieve. Fear not, friends, for this child is a saviour who is Christ the Lord. He's a saviour who comes to save us from sin and from judgment. You know, why do we need to be saved? You know, why do Christians, you know, why does the Bible talk so much about Salvation, You know, why do we need to be saved? You know, what, what do we need to be saved from? And the Bible tells us that God made us to know Him, to worship Him, to, to enjoy Him. But we have all turned away from Him. We've, we've chosen to live for ourselves, according to our way, rather than God's way. And, and the Bible calls this sin. So, so friends, as, as we think about sin, sin is not just... Uh, overeating at Christmas. You know, sin is not just doing wrong things. Sin is actually a, a direction of life that is away from God, you know, where, where we leave God out of the picture of our lives. You know, we, we don't live for Him. In fact, we live for ourselves. And the Bible says this, this way of life, this direction of life is, is sin. And in fact, sin makes us less than human because we were created in God's image to know Him, and this is what makes us truly human to know our Creator intimately, to enjoy Him, and to delight in Him, and to have Him delight in us. But sin has turned us away in words on ourselves. And because of our sin, we face God's righteous judgment. But here's the good news of Christmas God did not leave us in our sin, but He sent His beloved Son to save sinners. Jesus came on a rescue mission. His life began in a manger and His life ended on a cross. Jesus was crucified to bear the punishment for sin so that sinners like us can be forgiven and made right with God if we trust in Jesus to save us. And how can we be sure that Jesus saves He rose from the dead, proving that He has defeated sin and death. Therefore, He is able to give us eternal life. This vulnerable baby who identifies with us in our weakness will one day bear our sins if we trust in Him. And He will give us new life. And and by calling Jesus the Christ, it means that He is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Messiah or Christ means anointed one. And, and the Bible really is, is one big story, you know, one continuous story from beginning to end, from Genesis to, to Revelation. It's one big story in which all the prophecies and promises in this story are fulfilled in one person, Jesus and by calling him the Christ, Luke is telling us that he is the chosen one. He, he's the anointed one, chosen by God to rule as king forever. And, and this Christ invites us, friends, this Christ invites us, calls us to place ourselves under his gracious rule and to personally know for ourselves his goodness. Jesus is the Savior, he's the Christ. He's also the Lord whom we are to worship. I want us to take a, take a bit of time to think about our lives. You know, re- reflect upon our lives for a moment. What other lords are we trying to serve? Uh, Luke tells us Jesus is the Lord, right? not, not just one Lord out of many, not just a Lord, but the Lord. So as we come to the end of the year, it's Christmas time, let's, let's pause and think, what other lords are we trying to serve? You know, what, what keeps us from placing ourselves under the lordship of Jesus alone? You know, are we reluctant to follow the Lord Jesus because we, because we are afraid of losing what we've been trusting in for success, for happiness, or security? You know, do, we, do we think that these other lords whom we serve in our lives are able to, are really able to give us these things that truly satisfy us? What lords are we trying to serve? You know, wh- wh- why should we continue to cling on to and spend ourselves for that which is ultimately unable to satisfy. Friends, Jesus invites us to come to Him, and He says these words to us. If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. And He says, you know, He he tells us the logic of the Gospel, right? This the upside-down logic of the gospel. You know, we think we get what we want by chasing after what we want. But Jesus says, hey, whoever would save his life will lose it. That The more we try to cling on to these other lords that we think will satisfy us, the more we lose our life. But Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake, if, if we give ourselves over to Jesus we will gain more than we can imagine. We will gain our very lives. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says these wonderful words to us. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, maybe the one thing that weary people long for the most is rest. Are we trying to find rest in the Lords that we serve and worship? Jesus says, Come to Him, and you will find rest for your souls. He says to us, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And how do we know that? Because He was born in apparent weakness. He came as a vulnerable baby. He is gentle and lowly in heart and in Him we will find rest for our souls for His yoke is easy, His burden is light. Now, I, I love the words by missionary, this missionary, Jim Elliott. You know, it's, a, it's a familiar quote from him. It's good to say it again. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friends, we are no fool if we give what we cannot keep to Jesus and gain that which we will never lose. So finally, how will we respond to King Jesus? In the rest of this passage, Luke records for us different reactions to the coming of Jesus reactions of faith of praise and of joy so the angels praise god for jesus you know they, they say glory to god highest right? gloria in excelsis deo glory to god in the highest and on peace and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased you know who are those with whom god is pleased it is those who put their faith and their trust in in Jesus Christ, because He alone is able to bring peace between God and man. And after the angels depart, the shepherds waste no time in going to see for themselves this King. And they demonstrate true faith. It shows that faith in in this King leads them to commit to know Him, to see for themselves the shepherds go by faith, and sure enough, they find Jesus according to the signs spoken by the angel. They see a baby wrapped in swathing cloths and lying in the manger. And when they see it, when they see the baby, they make known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And having seen for themselves, they praise God. Uh, their, their worship overflows into Witness as they tell the people around them, hey, let me tell you this news, this exciting news of this baby who is God's promised king. Having experienced the goodness of God, they are eager to tell others the good news. And some people, they hear what the shepherds say, and Luke tells us that they wondered. They marveled. They were amazed at what the shepherds were saying. And they marveled for a moment but their wonder didn't last. It was just temporary. You no, know, friends, Christmas comes around once a year. It comes around every year. You know, we, we may enjoy Christmas time. We may enjoy hearing the Christmas story year after year. But is our wonder merely temporary? Mary, however, was different. Luke tells us that. Mary, on the other hand, she treasured these things. She pondered them in her heart. She thought about what she heard, and she cherished them. She said, well, wow, this, is, this is good news. She may not have understood all that the shepherds said, but she cherished what she heard, and she continued to reflect on this good news. And how do we know that Mary believed the message? You know, verse 21 at the end of our passage we read that she and Joseph named the baby Jesus, just as God had told them to. Friends, how will we respond to this good news about this Christmas baby? Will we just wonder for a moment and let this news pass us by? You know, the, the news is only good if we act on it. Right? If if someone tells us, you know, if someone tells us something good. It's no use to us unless we actually do something about it. So we've heard the good news about this coming Jesus. So what are we going to do about it, friends? Will it be another Christmas that we let this news come and go? Or will we do something about it? Will we go and see for ourselves, just as these shepherds have done? Will we, like Mary, treasure these things in our heart? and respond to what we hear with hearts made alive by God, hearts of faith that trust in this Jesus. God's promised King has arrived in surprising ways, and the extraordinary is wrapped in the ordinary. But Luke says to us, look more closely, look more closely, and we find King Jesus the greatest gift of all. So, Friends, will we trust Him? Will we trust in this Christmas baby who has come to save us and to give us good news? Will we be surprised this Christmas season by faith, by praise, and by joy? Let's pray together. Precious Father, we thank you again for your love, for your faithfulness, for your grace and mercy to us. Father, we thank you that you, in your amazing kindness to us, did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us languishing in the darkness. You did not leave us in our brokenness, in our time of greatest need, but you in your compassion and mercy. You've sent Your Son for us so that we might come and know You and find new life in You. Father, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You that He has come in surprising ways. And we thank You that this story recorded for us by Luke, Father, we thank You that this story invites us to come, to not just read this story as words on a page, but to come to know Jesus Himself. So, Father, we pray that Your Spirit would work powerfully in our hearts. We pray that Your Spirit would shine the light of Jesus into our dark hearts so that we would behold the glory of Christ. Father, help us to even take the the words of response printed in the bulletin. Help us to even meditate on those words to come to you honestly, to confess, Lord, we are broken, we are sinful, and we need a Saviour. So help us, Lord, to see Jesus in His beauty, that we would trust Him and turn to Him. So Father, in this time of quiet in our own hearts, help us to reflect for a moment as we consider this Christmas story afresh. Father, help us to consider how we can come and own Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. Father, as we close in prayer, we give you all the glory. Indeed, we say with the angels, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom you are pleased. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us to believe in your Son, to know him, to know his love, and to love him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's all rise uh, and respond to the good news.